This week on This Week in Blurns Ball. Baseball is not really officially not exactly back, pending league approval. Continuing movie emotions. Eh, schlock and more schlock. Damn it, Nixon! Welcome to This Week in Blurns Ball, where it is the year 25-25-25, and the backwards time machine still has not yet arrived. I am your host, Ben Bloom. With me is co-host Jacob Morris, and yes, that was a deep cut Futurama slash Zager and Evans reference to lead things off. That's the kind of mood I'm in right now. Yeah, oh man, real deep cut. Although, great Futurama episode that we're cutting that one from. Fantastic episode. Also, in the world, there's only one technology, a rusty sword for practicing proctology. Just, what the hell? Who comes up with it? It's why we named a show after this show. It's just so good. It's so good on so many levels. They, They had something going on there. There's something in that writer's room that just captured the magic. Amphetamines? Yeah, probably. A large quantity of amphetamines. Anyway, we actually have baseball news to talk about, which I don't know about you, but it's getting me excited in a disturbing kind of way. Yeah, uh, excited, disturbed, distracted. No, not distracted, but there's there's no poor man toe of excitement. There's no portmanteau of distract, of excited and disturbed that really works. Uh, yeah, but basically, sure, that one works. Uh, but basically, we have a return to play plan that they're gonna go ahead with. Uh, so for those of you who listen to our show and don't pay attention to baseball news, you're listening to our show. Uh, thank you, I guess. But it's going ahead with, this is the plan. Uh, Teams will be playing out of their home stadiums, if possible. No fans, of course. League starts roughly on July the 4th. We'll be playing an approximately 80-game schedule. Uh, That's approximate because 78 works best for what they've been talking about. And uh, there will be no travel outside of your geographic bubble. So the geographic bubble being the AL East only plays games against the AL and NL East. The Central stays within the Central, and the West stays within the West. Uh, And that also means Universal DH. And for all the people that have been complaining one way or another about the DH, I mean, this could very well be your reality. And then also just tacking on at the end should the world still exist by the time playoffs roll around, it turns into an expanded 14-team playoff, which I think would just be an absolute mess of awesomeness. Yeah, especially with a shortened season. Who knows who's getting in? That could be a real fun playoff. And then a neutral site World Series, because talking about a World Series in, like, December, uh, don't want to see that happening in, say, Boston. Actually, not true. I would love to see a December World Series in Boston where they have to shovel out the base paths. <laughs> it would be interesting to see. Uh, but the logical uh, choice would be Los Angeles, of course, as the makeup for not having the All-Star game this year. Or winning a World Series. Womp womp. I'm <laughs> So, I mean, th- those ideas all sound well and good. I think it'll be... I think it'll be neat to have, if it goes through, to have those, you know, 
East, East, Central, Central rivalries because you'll have the Mets versus the Yankees. You'll have Cubs versus White Sox, Angels, Dodgers. It kind of right away rules out baseball in Canada for this year because there's no way in hell that they'll be able to coordinate having that many teams crossing the border. So in my view, the Jays are going to be in Dunedin if this thing goes through. Uh, yeah, it certainly looks like it, unless there's some sort of border coordination where it's determined that they're an essential uh, service, which I don't see it as sports being an essential service. But still, baseball. Uh, but what I'm concerned still about... Still baseball. What I'm concerned about is the fact that we don't know what the coronavirus does in the long term. This is the problem with it being a novel virus. Uh, we know it causes pneumonia-like symptoms, but we don't know what it does to the lungs, the kidneys, the everything else in the long term. So we're rushing ahead with, yay, baseball. But uh, it might be, oh boy, this is bad if you get it. And there's the lingering question over the top of, you know, not only if somebody gets sick, what happens if, God forbid, somebody dies? And that is the kind of risk that shouldn't be taken with people's lives just for the sake of baseball. And yes, that's us saying this, so you know how serious we're being. And again, like this plan, this was approved by the owners. The players are going to be looking at it today. Something tells me that Tony Clark and his lack of mustache are going to have a lot of issues with this. And you've already seen some players come out with player safety being a priority and something that they feel is missing from the owner-approved plan. And you know what? I don't blame them. There's, of course, you know, the finer details still need to be worked out, but I would really, like, want to see something that absolutely does as much as possible to guarantee human safety before even thinking about playing again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as fun as it is to have baseball back, you need to be concerned about the players as people first. And... Uh, I'm not sure how much this plan does that. I mean, I haven't read it in detail. I've only seen what uh, Ken Rosenthal has written about it, but it sure seems like it's concerned about baseball and not safety. And when it's us two, you know, man-children saying this, like, you know that, you know, like, we both want baseball back more than anything. Like, honestly, the NHL season, they could just, they could just cancel the season. I wouldn't bat an eyelash. That might get me fired. <laughs> but I, I, of all the sports I want to return, baseball would be at the top with basketball a close second. But even that knowing how much we don't know, which is a weird thing to say, ah, you've got to play it. They, they've got to play it safe, man. <laughs> Although I do have a hypothetical to posit your way. Go for it. So... With the Jays, if, in, the situ, in the scenario where baseball comes back, teams are based out of either their home stadia or their spring training setup, would you apply for essential service status to cover the Blue Jays in Dunedin if it meant you know isolating yourself from your wife and loved ones, but you would be the face of Blue Jays coverage? Ooh, that's a tough one, but face of Blue Jays coverage. I mean, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. But you'd also be risking. Yeah, you know, risk of your life. They've, they've got masks and gloves for that. <laughs> when I mentioned this to my girlfriend, she said, don't you fucking dare. Yeah, that's probably the right way to do it. It does seem like the right thing, but at the same time, having an entire ballpark to yourself, just you and Major League Baseball, and then you get to talk about it. Ah, I don't know. That, it's like you could be responsible, but since this is a hypothetical... <laughs> it's the assignment of a lifetime. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the players say and what they counter with. I mean... I still don't know when any professional sports will come back. Even like watching a bit of 
the UFC card over the weekend. I'm like, wow, they're actually allowing this? There's open wounds everywhere. Yeah, UFC being back is weird. Uh, it's weird that WWE has continued. Uh, if we're going to count WWE as a sport, uh, will it? it's sport adjacent, I guess. Uh, but it's the same... It's I- as much a sport as sports movies are a sport. Yeah, but, you know, it's the sweaty big people with open wounds going on there. Uh, uh. Yeah, it's weird to see this kind of stuff going on. And it will be less weird, I guess, that baseball goes on because it's, you know, not grappling and open wounds. But there's a lot more people involved and a lot more infrastructure involved. Yeah, and it violates, you know, physical distancing gathering rules. Like, no more than five people? Yeah, that's still, that's less than the Black Sox had playing. Like, there's there's a lot at stake here. (laughs) There is a lot at stake here. And what, of course, we haven't completely mentioned at all is this could just be wave one. Like, what if there's a second wave that's even worse that's just on the other side of this? And most, you know, doctors I've, like, read have said, it's not an if, it's a when the second wave is coming, which, great, that's that's just great. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, now, yeah. thankfully, we can mitigate the second wave. And it doesn't have to be as bad as, say, the 1918 flu pandemic, where the second wave was the really bad one. But yeah, there could be another bump. And not in the fun way. Yeah, not in the fun way. But let's talk about something fun instead of something depressing. Baseball movies. Yes. And baseball movies, they will cheer you up during all of this sadness. And they are absolutely a substitute for therapy. Yes, that's what my therapist tells me. (laughs) So last week we dealt with the top of the bracket of the Sweet 16, we're now down to the bottom of the bracket to round out our Elite Eight baseball movies of all time, plus a wild card. And that wild card is going to make a lot of noise today because it's one of our... All of these matchups are going to be difficult. Where would you like to start? Let's just go right at it. Let's start with the wild card. Pride of the Yankees versus the wild card seed that made it through, Homer at the bat. Oh my god! This is this is ridiculous. This is it, this is this is Luke versus Vader. It, it, it's insane that this is actually a discussion. It's like you have one of the first and one of the best sports movies ever made versus a tribute to you know every single baseball movie made until that point. Plus, it's The Simpsons. Yeah, this this is a real contrast. Um, this is, I think, probably our hardest one in this bracket today, because uh, there were some rough ones last week. Homer at the Bat is a monumental Simpsons episode. Uh, but against it, it's just that. It's a Simpsons episode, where we're talking about Pride of the Yankees, which was and still is one of the all-time great sports movies. <laughs> I I find it very difficult to even compare the two of them because Homer at the Bat has an homage to oh no wait that's not Homer at the Bat that's Dancing Homer that's, that's the homage Dancing that's Homer. the Dancing Homer episode yes that is my mistake has an but the Simpsons are willing to riff on Pride of the Yankees like this is this is very difficult to consider and even the fact that you know like. Uh, the Pride of the Yankees, like, it's still watchable. Like, it has that enduring quality to it that, you know, yes, it's a little on the, you know, 1930s movie side of things, but it has, it, it's 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 a nice, like, really enjoyable movie to sit back and, you know, watch again and be like, oh, man, this is what movies were like. And then, of course, it has, you know, that just heartbreaking luckiest man on the face of the earth speech. I mean, it shows you that Lou Gehrig was, 
through and through just a good guy because he actually was by all accounts a good guy and yeah. everyone else was evil yeah i mean such a good guy playing for the yankees that that almost seems like it shouldn't have ever happened but here we are talking about it yeah and the fact that it's you know that the yankees feature in so many movies often as the villains like major league damn yankees but here the yankees are the good guys and it's like it's weird but also like Lou Gehrig accomplished something that you know it took like another like several decades to even come close to and then ultimately surpassed but yeah uh he was the consummate baseball player uh and then we're talking about probably the antithesis of Lou Gehrig Homer Simpson yeah, I mean, if you look at if you if you did a baseball reference on them alone, I mean, like like Homer was your classic three outcomes kind of guy, whereas Lou Gehrig could do everything. And I don't think Homer played defense. Like, yeah, he was in right field, but the first chance you know some up and comer from Queens comes in, he's done. Like Homer gets Wally pipped by Daryl Strawberry. Oh, absolutely. But then again, he is Daryl Strawberry. Daryl, Daryl, that movie has like line after line after line. It has celebrity buy-in. It you this is the apples and oranges at its most at its mo, at its core. Wait, no, no, that was pun intentional. Uh, oranges don't have cores. Other way around, sunshine. Yes, I I know what you meant. But and it's very, very difficult to compare a cartoon to a 1930s movie. And yet, here we are sitting here comparing a cartoon to a 1930s movie. Um, and, and the fact that Pride of the Yankees, it has staying power. It gets referenced in so many things. I mean, like the one that stands out for me is on Friends, where Phoebe is rewatching all of her childhood movies because her mother would stop it before the sad ending. And, and Phoebe says, you know, like, and, and I thought that movie was about Yankee pride, but then that guy dies of Lou Gehrig's disease to which Magnum PI says that was Lou Gehrig. You didn't see that coming. Also great Magnum PI crossover. Great Magnum PI crossover. Stop before we get sued. Yes. <laughs> oh man, this is how do you, like? I feel like it's a disservice to to put to to put through anything other than Pride of the Yankees. I mean, I, there this is not to diminish the importance Homer at bat. Homer at bat is in the 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 is in Cooperstown. But Lou Gehrig was the, was in the inaugural Cooperstown class. Ooh, that's it's, a good way to you're put going, it. That's the it's it's difficult, man. Yeah, but I think I think we're both feeling it this way that Pride of the Yankees is just that extra cut above that they're the they're the prime rib of this battle. That Homer at the bat is excellent, but Pride of the Yankees it's is just it's that little bit more excellent like you said it's prime rib versus the crusty burger rib witch well hey uh, the crusty burger rib witch is pretty good pink legs yeah lots exactly. of legs we're we're putting it's it's a epic battle but like you said i think pride of the yankees goes through which means it robs us of the chance to see homer at the bat go up against what inspired homer at the bat the natural that would have been something else because I would have loved to have seen a home run derby between Homer and Roy Hobbs. Oh boy, that would have been one heck of a home run derby. So <laughs> we've got the natural up against Mr. 3000. I think this one's a little less heart rending. This one's a little less heart wrenching just because, as much as we love bernie mac and as surprisingly enjoyable as mr 3000 was in terms of baseball movies the natural is in a class of its own 
yes, it's a tale of the Christ, but that sold, sells millions of copies every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an episode unto itself. It is a force unto itself, the natural. Uh, it's perhaps... It's Wilfred Brimley. Yeah, it's Robert Redford, it's Wilfred Brimley, it's perhaps the greatest baseball Glenn movie Close. of all time. But then again, that's what we're here to determine. Mr. And I still love the premise of Mr. 3000. I think that for all of us baseball nerds that will go over every single stat, there's going to be something one day where we find out that Derek Jeter only had 2,999 hits, and he comes out for the Florida Marlins and you know just is hated by everyone, and it's going to be funny. Yeah, that, that seems like the most likely outcome of that one, but... It's absolutely true that we're going to end up with something like that because of all the baseball stat nerds that exist in the world now. Um, and that's really part of what Mr. 3000 is for. It's for those stat nerds that say, hey, that guy didn't actually do that thing. And then the guy says, I'll show you I'll do that thing. And but that being said, The Natural is a great example of, you know, like prospect cut short makes a comeback in another way because Roy Hobbs was a pitcher. Like, like he strikes out Slammer Sloan on the train into town. Like, you gotta... And then he comes back and he's this prodigious hitter because the one thing that the Romans, I mean, that woman who gut shot him, couldn't take away was his spirit. Yeah. Oh, man. It really is some Arthurian and therefore Christ legend, this movie. And it's it's an enjoyable movie, and it makes you feel things. It, wait, that's not to say Mr. 3000 doesn't make you feel things. Just the things it makes that me it makes feel you, things, too. It makes you feel things, too, but most of the things it makes you feel are laughter and happiness. And Bernie Mac is awesome. <laughs> Bernie Mac is awesome. Far too young. Yeah. But as it stands, though, baseball movie to baseball movie... And that 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 in itself is a tough metric because there are quality baseball moments in Mister Three Thousand, and the sack bunt to to give up the three thousandth hit is like a genuinely like underrated moment in baseball movie history. Of wow, that's a real good guy move. Yeah, and that's also the development of his character throughout the movie. He becomes that nice guy, that team player. Uh, but it can't compare to the natural where at the end he hits the home run and the lights blow up and he's rounding the bases. That's just, that's a moment in movie history, in film history. They study that in film classes, for goodness sake. And even the knock the cover off the ball. He knocks the cover off the baseball. Yeah, I mean... You know who also did that? Jesus. Yeah, so what what Jesus's wins above replacement was? I'd say at least twelve. <laughs> yeah, probably. He was good. Uh, he was pretty good. He was pretty good. So I think we're gonna move the natural on here. I think so. And again, Mister Three Thousand, underrated, underappreciated, but definitely it got its due in this bracket because we talked about it so much. Yep. Yeah. And that gives us a really good matchup of Pride of the Yankees against the Natural. Oof. That is going to be a fun one to yell about. <laughs> that is, I think that's probably our best matchup in the Elite Eight so far. That one is going to be pretty intense. Okay, so moving across the bracket, we've got Major League against For the Love of the Game. And this might be our first Costner killing. It, there is a chance that Kevin Costner may only have two movies in the Elite Eight. Yeah. That being said, the baseball moments in, like, the quality of the baseball moments in For Love of the Game, I almost put ahead of the quality of the baseball in Major League. Just because it focuses so intensely on Billy Chapel on the mound and like it, it, it at its the movie's core is the baseball side of it with like this the other plot stuff you know being all fine and okay, 
But in the major league, it transcends the game of baseball and with all of the characters and what they each bring to it. Like, of course, we know that, you know, like no one's going to act like Willie Mays Hayes in real life, but it's a movie. It's supposed to be like it's supposed to be somewhat far fetched. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely supposed to be far fetched, but Major League is like slap shot essentially. It's the downtrodden team. They bring in the the weirdos and the nut jobs, and they become a team that can win because of all these weirdos and nut jobs. And, of course, they're sticking it to Margie Schott. If Margie Schott didn't own Cincinnati, she owned Cleveland. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, of all of the subtleties, that was not subtle. It's like, yeah, this is this is evil Marge Schott. <laughs> uh, yeah, like the time that Marge Schott demanded that they continue a game after the umpire had a heart attack. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then all the crazy shit with her dogs. <laughs> Yeah, she was crazy in addition to being evil. Yeah. But anyway, back to Major League. That movie has some of the, like, in when they're at spring training and they're doing, you know, like the classic movie, introduce all the different oddballs. That one ranks for me among, like, the best people intros. And that includes the Dirty Dozen, where you're like, Wow, Donald Sutherland doesn't seem that crazy. He eats people. What? And then Jim Brown is there. Like, like it. Like the 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 roundup of misfits. Like, you got some great great characters. And then at the core of it, you have the ultimate battery. This is really a battle of the batteries between Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen and John C. Riley and Kevin Costner. If they met in real life, that would be fun as hell. Oh, that would be one hell of a game. Like, it's just so fun. And technically, they could have played at some point, like, early 90s Indians, mid-90s Tigers. That's a divisional matchup right there. That is a divisional matchup. Then, I mean, who would have won that game? I think that might be what we come down to here. Two very I think the Yankees win both games because the Yankees are the villains in both movies. That's true enough, but it comes down to <laughs> two very different styles of pitching, too. We've got the finesse pitcher against the power pitcher. And then you have, like, the cerebral aching catcher versus, you know, John C. Riley. Yeah. Um, I'm inclined to put Major League through. I think just... The little bits and pieces off the field put it over the top. Yeah, I think the fact that it's a more complete movie and that what happens off the field, you know, complements and, you know, brings what happens on the field to an even higher level. Whereas for Love of the Game, you know, the on-field product stands alone. The off-field is, is, is fine. And plus, Rene Russo over Kelly Preston, 25-8 every day of the week. Yeah, pretty much. And also, of course, the great line from Corbin Burnson, strike this fucker out. Yeah. <laughs> Back when you were allowed to have mound visits. Do we bleep things on like this that? show? I can't remember. We do not. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, I mean, like people still reference Rick Wild Thing Vaughn, like, like the fact that that song became popular again, and you know, Charlie Sheen made glasses and garbage haircuts cool, yeah, just like the Hanson brothers, just like the Hanson brothers. So uh, I, we've got Major think, League moving on. I think we're resolved on that. Yeah. <laughs> so the last matchup of our Sweet Sixteen is we've got the Bad News Bears against Bang the Drum Slowly. This one is a rough one. It really is because it's, I mean, this is like, this is like the all-star 70s showdown. You have, you have like a gritty, realistic look at, and at professional baseball in that era versus an unvarnished look at how children play baseball in that era. And, <laughs> Both, both are great. I mean, like, Bang the Drum Slowly is the Brian song of baseball movies. I love you, Brian. 
Except, yeah. you know, with Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's two diametrically opposed movies. You've got a comedy against a very, very serious drama. Um, it's... Yeah, like, it's dark as hell. <laughs> yeah, and it's star-studded, too. It's De Niro before he was De Niro. I mean, right at the time that he was becoming Robert De Niro. Uh... But then, Bad News Bears is not bereft of stars either. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, like, Matthau is friggin' Matthau. Like, he's, like, he's a comedy titan, and he's playing, he's playing Oscar. But, like, 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 if Oscar somehow fell on hard times, which is hard to believe. Yeah, I know. But... Oh man, I am torn between these two movies. They are so different and yet so equal. And I mean, like one of the great like sports movies lines of "If he goes, I go." Like that sentiment. I mean, "Bang the Drum Slowly" is you know like a great example of that, where you know the the, the pitcher refuses to be with anyone other than his his battery mate, and like it. Like showing like those like the bonds between teammates and going beyond what's what what how people react on the field. That's you know like a really like that's one of the things that makes Bang the Drum slowly transcendent. But at the same time, you have those relationships in Bad News Bears as well. You have like you have these kids who are literally looking up to Walter Matthau as like. Hey, you're 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 our, you're a father figure to us, and he's like, hell no, I'm not. I'm a baseball coach, damn it. And it's like, it's such an interesting like back and forth, and and yeah, like you forget that that's Tatum O'Neill as a little kid, like. Oh my God, it is. Yeah, um, yeah, Amanda Wurlitzer, Tatum O'Neill. It's like, wow, okay, this is like this is no joke. And, of course, the Yankees are the bad guys in this one again. The Yankees are the bad guys in every baseball movie that's worth its salt. Which is why when Tanner tells them to take their apology and shove it up their ass, it's like, yes. And, yeah, neither movie ends with a win. Because De Niro dies and the Bears lose to the Yankees. Because, you know, Kelly Leak blew through the signal on third base. Yeah. So, oh man, I don't know who to take. I really don't know who to take here. What would Rorschach do? What would Rorschach do? Well, I will say this. Tim Blake Nelson could be Rorschach at this point. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, I know we're getting into Watchmen territory and <laughs> Squid Pro Quo. <laughs> Squid Pro I, I mean that's like that's like several layers of a what the hell is wrong with you type of tangent. But I mean alright, let's we gotta we gotta find like some type of like Mendoza line to, you know, judge these movies on. Like something that, you know, will separate one from the other. Like like if we go on the baseballness of each movie. I mean, it's hard because there's a lot of quality, like baseball scenes in, you know, bang the drum slowly, but also in bad news bears, like, you know, the training montages, them finally getting it together, you know, like you know, Kelly leaks, bad Amanda's arm. Like, yeah, it, it's fine to, it's hard to find like a direct comparison to you know put one above the other yeah oh man i didn't think that this one would be our toughest one i i knew it was going to be tough but oh man all right let's like i think we got to go to the watchability factor well, then, in that case, what are you... Bad News Bears. I'm more likely to sit down and watch Bad News Bears, because Bang the Drum Slowly, you have to be in a real specific emotional state to watch. And, I mean, yes, and, and I'm with you, but does that, you know, does that put too much emphasis on watchability? I mean, 
I guess we, we could also look at cultural impact, you know, like how many people make bang the drum slowly references versus, you know, the fact that the term bad news bears has been used in every genre, in every medium to describe a bunch of sad sack misfits. Yeah, and I think part of that is because Bang the Drum Slowly is so similar to Brian's song, like we said. Uh, and I think that might be what gets us to put Bad News Bears over the top. It's that Bang the Drum Slowly, there is an equivalent film. There is Brian's song. Uh, and Bad mm. News Bears stands on its own as a cultural force. And, yeah, you, you can't find, like, there, there will never be another air quote kids movie like bad news bears i mean like i'm pretty sure there were more dead bodies in bad news bears than in stand by me to be honest probably i mean knowing what goes on at chico's bail bonds i don't you don't even know they don't make coming of age movies like that anymore no and i mean like walter Matthau is just like he's one of the giants he's one of the greats like did you ever see the fortune cookie no, I have not. Good, like, like that movie would, you know, wipe every movie in this bracket, like, off the table. Like, it is a great Lemon and Mathow movie. Like, highly recommend it. All right. That's uh, added to my queue. But since it can't be in the bracket, I think we got to move Bad News Bears on. And that settles our Elite Eight. Would you like to give us the rundown of what movies are still in? Absolutely, and there will be more arguments because shit's about to get even realer. So, coming out of the Northwest bracket, we have Field of Dreams versus A League of Their Own. Oh, that hurts. (laughs) Oh, that hurts. What the actual hell are we going to do there? And just in the news, uh, one of the last reported living Rockford Peaches, you know, like died last week i mean like you have like yeah this is gonna be crazy like like we can't free debate it but holy shit this is like this demands like this demands us doing some homework and rewatching these things oh yeah i'm absolutely rewatching those ones and then of course in the southwest bracket we have pride of the yankees versus the natural oh boy yeah, that one's gonna be uh that's gonna be a knockdown drag out fight. Oh yeah. <laughs> then we go to the northeast bracket where it's Bull Durham versus sixty one. Oh man. Oh that that man. I wanted that matchup at the finals. Like like those those were my horses, man. Well, one of your horses gets eliminated. Oh my goodness, this is this is just rough all around. I'm going to take Clip Clop to the glue factory. And then we've got Bad News Bears then, against Major League. Oh my goodness. That's two vastly okay. different comedies. And yet I would love to see a matchup between those two teams because they would play each other in some fictional universe. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. This is going to be knock them down, drag them out. Oh. Oh, no more easy rounds left. No more mid-majors remaining. These are all top seeds going for it. And if you look at all eight of those movies, I think we picked some excellent, non-obvious choices going through. And yet, you know, like, the, the classics are there, the standard bearers are there. But how they got there, I mean, it was not, you know, like an easy, you know, list them off type of type of setup these movies like earn their way there oh yeah these are all earned uh, places in the elite eight but man the elite eight's going to be rough there are going to be some real deserving movies that get knocked out and and we're going to get some angry letters from ron shelton yeah i mean every single one of those films could be the winner absolutely um and there's a lot at stake and it is going to be fun to argue over oh yes it is going to be really fun to argue over but that is for next week this week we still have our classic games of the week to go over 
Yes, we do. Would you like to go ahead with yours? Yes, I will. So my classic game this week is Game 6 of the 1993 World Series, uh, which everybody remembers, of course, as the Joe Carter, Jumpin' Joe, walk-off home run. Only one of two times that a World Series has ended on a walk-off home run. The other one being Bill Mazeroski, 1960. Boom. Suck it, Yankees. Yeah, and that's the only time that's ever ended on a Game 7 walk-off home run. Man, if only Rajay Davis had waited and put more men on base. Yeah, if only Rajay Davis could have had more men on base. That would have been... Uh, he, he's not even a power hitter. He hit that choked up halfway up the bat. Well, I mean, if you go ocean, if Aroldis Chapman throws the ball at anything, based on bouncing off it alone, it could probably go 400 feet. <laughs> That's fair enough. I mean, if I could put the bat on the ball for Aroldis Chapman, I could probably hit it out. The trick is putting the bat on the ball. Yes. But then, of course, we don't get the Cubs winning the World Series because, you know, that was a good story. That was a great story. Sorry, go back to your game because, you know, I feel like we got tangented. You know, so other than, you know, that great walk-off moment, I mean, that was an interesting World Series. Like, that, that was a quality matchup that was jay's phillies was a real quality matchup the phillies had been a really bad team in 92 came all the way back to make the world series in 93 uh and then that was a real quality game game six uh, of course being a do or die game for the phillies and the jays remember were actually down for most of the game uh up until ricky henderson gets on followed by uh man, yeah ricky henderson a blue jay for like Four months. I know. That's the weirdest thing. <laughs> Ricky Henderson, and yet it worked. <laughs> it worked. Ricky Henderson gets on, then Robbie Alomar, and then Joe Carter. Kaboom. Touch them all, Joe. You will never hit a bigger home run in your life. Um, and that was... And that's like a defining moment in Canadian sports history. Yeah, it is. And it's funny that it was a whole bunch of Americans just wearing Canadian laundry that uh, got to make it. And Dominicans. Let's not forget Dominicans. Yes, and Dominicans. And again, that that World Series, I mean, like Tony Fernandez had come back to the Jays that year. And, you know, like, like he was like such an integral part of like the team in the 80s and seeing him get a ring like like that was awesome, too. And, you know, like that that. Didn't, wasn't Paul Molitor on that Jays Paul team? Paul Molitor like, was on that Jays team. The top three batting, uh, the top three batting averages in the American League were all Toronto Blue Jays that year. Molitor, Allerud, and Alomar. That team was Johnny stacked. O. Oh my god! Yeah, that was an insane Blue Jays team, and then it all crumbled to shit. It really did. The dynasty can't last forever, but I'll take back-to-back World Series. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, what was I even going to say? It? No, it's like, that was a great pick. And, I mean, like, I don't know if you can find it online. If You know, Sportsnet should have been replaying this every single day of the shutdown. Yeah. Um, so MLB.TV has a great back archive of all kinds of classic games that are available for free. So there you go. I mean, that one should be a part of it, hopefully with, you know, Tom Cheek's call of the game. Oh, yeah. Better have Tom Cheek's call of the game because Tom Cheek's <laughs> call of the game is way better. <laughs> all right. Now i got to think that's a hard one to match to top like that's. I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for one that I don't even know was on TV. Okay. If that's even possible. Okay. I'm gonna go with the last home game of the 1960 MLB season at Fenway Park. Ted Williams' last game ever, where in his last at bat he hits home run number 521 into the seat that they ended up painting red. I don't know if there's like if they saved it for TV or if it even was on TV. Well, there is footage of him rounding the bases and tipping his cap. So somebody was well, there he doesn't with a camera. Tip his cap. That's the thing. He never tips his cap. Everyone's like, "Come on, Ted! Like it's your last game. Like 
we know you hate everyone and everything, but oh, just do it. He's like, no, screw you guys. <laughs> huh. And they gave him another shot to do it, and he's just like, nah, like, even more than Frank Sinatra, he did it his way. <laughs> he did do it his way. And, I mean, what would it be like to watch baseball in, like, the 50s and 60s? Like, we've all seen, like, the clips of it, but a full game, I mean, like, the commercial breaks must have been nothing if they existed at all. Like, like having... I feel like that would just be like a cool experience to like, like pre-color baseball viewing. Oh man, yeah, that must have been really interesting. That must have been something completely different from what we're used to. And also the camera angles. I mean, like, can't see anything. You just—it's essentially like radio with stop motion. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. You imagine watching it with like a camera on the first baseline, and that's your perspective. And that's, like, just so weird. Like, you really are reliant on the broadcaster to, you know, like, spell everything out. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know how, like, enjoyable, like, watching a whole game would be given how we've been brought up in terms of watching behavior. But I want to see Ted Williams, you know, like, wrap it up with a home run. Like, Yeah, that does sound like it would be one hell of a game to watch. So, perhaps somebody could help us with watching those games, the invention of some sort of time travel machine, in our Futurama <laughs> picks of the week. I think I know going with this one, and my pick for this week's Futurama is All the President's Heads. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> it's a great time travel episode. It's got the head museum. It's got lots of American politics jokes and of course at its core powdered opal and licking people's heads will send you back in time and of course they screw up things for the worst because real life american revolution traitor david farnsworth a long ancestor of the professor ends up you know not getting caught ends up turning the tide of the american revolution and so they end up in future britain ama and of course, they have to solve their way out of that. But still, one of my favorite like scenes was very early on in the beginning, where they're at the head museum, and Bender says, Hey, Leela, where's Ulysses S. Grant? He owes me a cheroot. He's over there, puking in the bushes. And you see the head of Ulysses Grant puking into George Bush 41 and 43, and they're like, No, no! <laughs> puking in the bushes. Oh my god, yes, that's a great one. Um, so I also picked the time travel episode this week. Nice. Uh, I picked the why of Fry. Oh, now you're going to make me start crying. So, this episode, Fry is sent back in time by the brains, uh, the gigantic space brains, uh, because he's the only one who can, is able to thwart them. Uh, and we figure out why Fry actually fell into the freezer in, uh, 2000, in 1999. And it turns out it's because of Nibbler, because Nibbler was sent there to ensure that he was sent to the future to protect Earth from the space brains. And that episode has so many great, hilarious moments. And it also has like that heartbreaking moment of, surely one life is worth that of millions. But it was my life. I know. That's every goddamn time and that episode is funny as hell and that line still makes me emotional because that's what futurama does man like a great pick and also those stupid floating brains stupid <laughs> but absorbing all the knowledge in the universe seven is greater than three <laughs> for quality bufflers <laughs> the scooty puff jr it sucks. In a thousand years, I'll remember that. And then they said to him, the Scooty Puff Senior, the Deathbringer. Ah, <laughs> oh, Scooty Puff Senior. Oh, man. I, I want to go rewatch that episode. Well, that's what I do every week after we finish recording and then I finish editing the episode. I go back and watch the episodes that we've uh, recommended. And we've listed off a lot of great Futurama episodes, and there's still great ones to come. Yeah. There are. They had a lot of quality episodes. Not a ton of stinkers. Not a ton of stinkers. 
And then there were the four movies, which you no. either fall on one side or the other. That's a very diplomatic way to say they stunk. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That... <laughs> Fry, oh, I stole this lantern from that old church to the north. Damn it, Fry. <laughs> Ruined the timeline. Why does Fry always ruin the timeline? <laughs> because he's Fry. He's missing the gamma brainwave. He's like Barry Allen, only, you know, better. <laughs> oh, Fry. Stupid Fry point. <laughs> I see what you did there. Thank you. <laughs> um, I got anything else for us this week, Ben? I think that just wraps it up for me. I mean, again, for those of you who... If you like the episode, if you have thoughts on what we've been doing with the bracket, if you have, you know, something we missed either when it comes to baseball movies or Futurama episodes, you can reach out to us on Twitter at TWI Blurnsball, or you can message myself directly at Benjamin K. Bloom and at Jacob Morris at JMS Morris. Did I get that right? You got that right. That is correct. Hell yeah. I'm paying attention to this shit. All right. There we go. Uh, also, remember to like us and give us five stars on your platform of choice, because that way more people can find us and listen to us. Because we are number one best. <laughs> we are number one best show. <laughs> number one best show. I And I think that just about does it for everyone here at This Week in Blurns Ball, which is, you know, two of us. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Farewell from the world of tomorrow.